Do you like that video? I, I like it, but it's a little creepy at the end. I don't know, you know. I, we're talking about end times, and I'm glad that you're here with us for us to do that. And before we get there, we're, we're celebrating some things. Uh, Ralph and Joan Justiniano from Japan are here. You can see them out in the, the atrium after the service. They have a table set up if you'd like to do that. And, and we're just so excited about uh, next Sunday is outdoor baptism. And we have about 100 people uh, planning on getting baptized next Sunday. That's going to be after third service. Everything here is the same next Sunday. It's just after our third service, we all go out to White Star Park in Gibsonburg and uh, we have lunch out there. People get baptized. Just so it's a great, relaxing, fun time. And we hope that you enjoy us, enjoy being with us during that time. And then also last Sunday, we had over 2,000 people at Grace. And it's just really exciting uh, what God's doing. And we're, we're just having a wonderful time. So we're talking about end times. And uh, we, last time we mentioned that there's basically, when people talk about signs... There's three approaches. One is skepticism where you just say, no, nah, I'm not buying it. Nothing's a sign. There are no signs. I don't buy it. The second one is, the second approach is sensationalism. And that's everything's a sign. Who was here early at this service and heard Jay singing signs? Yeah, he, he does that pretty well. And since he's responsible for the music, I think he did that. So I wouldn't try to sing it again. Uh, during this message, like I did last time, he's responsible. He didn't want that to happen, but it, it was—he did a great job in that. And that's where just everything that happens, people are like, oh, "There's a sign. There's a sign. There's a sign." Kind of sensationalizes everything. But there's a third, more balanced view, and and we refer to that. A lot of people do as stage setting. And what that means is, as we look at events that are unfolding in the world today, without sensationalizing them, we try to figure out. Can we reverse engineer, can we point to a scripture in the Bible where that's actually exactly being fulfilled? Or can we reverse engineer something that the Bible clearly talks about and says, oh, these are the pieces coming into place to make that happen. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this next week, about what we believe that the Bible is, is telling us and what we see before our very eyes now. But... We did want to deal with the blood moons thing. So that's what we're talking about today. The whole blood moons deal. And here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to explain it so everybody understands what's being said. And then we're going to evaluate it based on God's word. So we know, hey, is this legit or is it not legit? What do we need to know about this? So that's what we're up to today. Um, but before I get there... Uh, remember, we showed a timeline, a very basic timeline, where basically this is Old Testament times, and then the coming of Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection, and then the time in history now is, was a mystery, a mystery as to its length, this is the church age, and also a mystery in the sense that Old Testament prophets were always doing their prophecies about Israel, and there's kind of like no Israel here, we're going to talk about that in a moment, and then this ended with, this will end with something called the rapture. I, I read a verse last time, I'll do it again. The rapture's, uh, there's a few different passages in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, but here I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 
beginning in 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I want to talk about that for just a moment. The dead in Christ will rise first. What we're saying there is we know when a believer dies, their soul immediately goes to heaven. They're with God. Scripture clearly teaches us. But our bodies are buried. And so they either get buried in the grave or at sea or end up in an urn or whatever the case may be. That's what happens with the bodies. Well, at the rapture, what happens is the dead in Christ, meaning Christians who have died, their bodies are physically resurrected. Their remains, whatever's left, and there might not be much left, whatever that is, is resurrected and glorified and reunited with their soul. And then that all is happening in the clouds with Christ. That's called the rapture. That's a physical resurrection, as, as gory as that might sound to you. And then here's what it says after that. Then, after that happens, we who are alive and remain, that means we're still living, we haven't died yet when this event happens, will be caught up, that's where the word rapture comes from, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That is called the rapture. That's not my phone. That is called the rapture. And that's actually the next event that's going to happen. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the end. But the blood moons thing. So what about the blood moons? A lot of people talking about it as we saw in our video bump there. And, uh, and we're going to explain it. So everybody understands it, hopefully, and then evaluate it. So explaining blood moons, first of all. And by the way, this is really fascinating because all this kind of comes to a head this month on September 28th. So that's why it's really interesting to check it out. First of all, we need to define some terms. A blood moon is, is a total lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse happens when the earth perfectly lines up in between the sun and the moon. And so the earth casts its shadow onto the moon. That makes a lunar eclipse. A blood moon is a full lunar eclipse rather than a partial lunar eclipse. And the reason that the moon looks red is because when the moon is in the shadow, fully in the shadow of the earth, the light from the sun actually the indirect light from the sun filters around the earth and thus through the earth's atmosphere. The earth's atmosphere filters out the blue hues and leaves the red and orange hues, which then are reflected by the sun. And that's why during a full lunar eclipse, you have a blood-colored moon. Does that make sense? So that's what a blood moon is. And then the next thing you need to know is a word called a tetrad. A tetrad is simply referring to four total lunar eclipses without any partial lunar eclipses happening in between them. So it's four total lunar eclipses in a row. And then that four is called a tetrad. So that's what that is. You got to know that. And then you have to know a little bit about the feast days. 
which you don't know. Basically, in Leviticus 23, God gave Israel seven feast days. And I know a lot of you were probably reading Leviticus 23 just the other day because it's your favorite book. But yeah, Leviticus 23 um, lays out seven feast days for Israel. And there's four spring feasts and three fall feasts. And the four spring feasts, it's all kind of found, the foundational one is Passover, if you remember that. And then there's unleavened bread, the second feast, first fruits, and then weeks, or Pentecost. And then in the fall, there's three feasts, and they are trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur, and then also, also tabernacles, or some people call that booths. So, for example... The four blood moons that were in the... Because we're right here in the timeline here. The four blood moons that were in the middle of now, the Tetrad is saying, hey, all four of these happen to line up with Jewish feast days. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar and it's a different... and It has different year markers than we do. And so that's why they call, always bleed into two different years. But then that is Passover the Feast of Tabernacles, then there's a solar eclipse, and all these has a solar eclipse somewhere in the middle of them, and then Passover again this year, and then Tabernacles again this year, which is September 28th. So they're just saying, you know, the, the feasts are kind of important so because they line up with these four blood moons in a row, which is called a tetrad. Now, in the last 500 years, there have been four tetrads. Four times in history in the last 500 years where there, there have been four full blood moons in a row with no partial lunar eclipses happening in between the four. And so we're going to kind of run through those so you kind of understand what the case that's being built. The first one was in 1493-94. Those are the dates of the full eclipse. And then those are the dates they line up with the, with the Jewish feasts. Now, for all these tetrads, and we're in the fourth one in the last 500 years, they will say not only are these a tetrad, meaning four blood moons in a row, without any partial eclipses, but then they say in the last 500 years, all four sets have lined up perfectly with Jewish holidays. And so we see that in the 1490s. Now, this 1493-94, and, and, then, and then the next thing they'll say that they point out is all, four, all of the three previous ones, and we're in the fourth now, something significant happened with the Jewish people. So now in 1493-94, this tetrad happened during the Spanish Inquisition. And during the Spanish Inquisition, the Catholic monarchy of Spain... Were, they persecuted all non-Catholic Christians and other religions. And in 1492, the monarchy uh, had an edict of expulsion, which said that all Jewish people had to leave Spain. And if they didn't do it by a certain date in 1492, then all their property would be confiscated by the crown. And that actually happened. So that's, that's the event that they're kind of talking about to say this was the major Jewish event 
that lined up in that year. Now, what else happened in 1492? Columbus. Christopher Columbus discovered the New World. Well, interestingly enough, the voyage of Columbus was partially funded by the Edict of Expulsion, the money that they confiscated from the Jewish people that didn't get out of Spain fast enough. That, was, that partially funded Christopher Columbus, as a side note. And then that led, the discovery of the New World led to America, and then later America became a safe haven for, for a couple hundred years for the Jewish people. And so I believe, as many people do, that because America had, had always treated the, the Jewish people uh, well, it was always a safe haven where they were being persecuted, a place they could always come to, I believe that's part of the reason that God has blessed us. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will, and this is the, you know, this is the part, I will bless those who bless you, that's why I feel America's been blessed, and to the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, this is said early in history this is when there was no Jewish people there was no Israel there was nothing there was just one guy and it's Abraham although back then he was called Abram and God calls him to leave where he, where he lives which is the Ur of the Chaldees modern day Iraq and go to Palestine a place that he had never been before and he's going to make him a great nation. Then he says nations, although one nation, especially all the world, will be blessed through. And, of course, that's the nation of Israel. So the proponents of the blood moons thing will point to the first tetrad that happened in the last 500 years and say 93, 94. That's just one year later, one year after or just a year before that was 1492 edict of expulsion that greatly affected Jews ended up leading to the founding of America years later. And then that was a, a kind of a, a thing that helped Jews as well. Second Tetrad. Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay, second Tetrad is in 1949-1950. So we have uh, the Tetrad and they line up the same way. And then what happened in, Ju in, in history there, Jewish history is very significant. Actually, what happened a year before this? May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation for the first time since 1970, uh, since, whoa, 1970, A.D. 70. So since the first century, since the time the New Testament was written, all the way until 1948, 1900 years, there was no Israel, which was a big deal regarding prophecy because prophecy is talking a lot about when Christ comes back, there's going to be an Israel, there's going to be a temple, there's going to be some conflict, wars involving Israel, all this stuff. But for 1,900 years, there was no Israel. There was no country called Israel. But what happened in World War II was because when Germany exterminated, killed, slaughtered 6 million Jewish people, the world then 
sort of had a, a soft spot for the Jewish people. They, they felt compassion for them. And following World War II, the United Nations, and part of that had to do with uh, Britain and the Balfour Declaration that had happened earlier, and we'll talk about that maybe next week. But because some things lined up, the United Nations then parceled out part of British-controlled Palestine to be a Jewish nation. When that happened, Britain pulled out. By the way, Israel said yes, and the Arabs living in the area said no, that they want it all. You know, it's all controlled by Britain. When they pull out, Israel declares their independence. Our President Truman was the, we were the first country to recognize them as a nation. And so that was a very significant time. That, then they were attacked by everybody surrounding them. And in, actually in 1949, the war ended, their war of independence. And so they're saying, hey, this is the significant thing. That's pretty significant that happened with the Jewish people around this tetrad. It happened a year before this one. The other one was a year after. And then the third tetrad is 67-68. Israel's been in a series of wars. They never had, until this time, had complete control of Jerusalem. But during the Six-Day War, uh, when they were fighting several countries around them, that's when they took control of the Sinai, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, places that they were being attacked from. And they also got all of Jerusalem. Before that, they just had part of Jerusalem. And so they got Jerusalem, their capital. And so that happened, which is pretty significant, in, uh, in 1967. And that happened, that happened right during this tetrad rather than a year before or after. And then the fourth tetrad in the last 500 years is what we're in right now. And that brings us really to this month. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And we're right here before this one. And that's why everybody's saying, wow. So the last, the three previous tetrads, something kind of major happened with the Jewish people. And so everybody's wondering, well, what is it now? I have a feeling if nothing huge happens in the next three weeks, that people might point to this whole uh, Iran nuclear deal and say, maybe that's it. But... Uh, you know, we'll figure that out. We'll see what happens, you know, in the next few weeks. But here's the deal. That's explaining the four blood moons. So they say this month before October, and you, you heard the guys say it, something world changing, something is going to happen. It's supposed to involve the Jewish people, but then they tie in some America stuff too with the seven years land arrest stuff and we won't get into those details, but they're just saying, hey, something big's gonna happen. But we don't wanna just explain this, we wanna evaluate it. And we wanna evaluate it with logic, but we also wanna evaluate it mainly with the word of God. So, as, by the way, how many of you have had an evaluation at work? Yeah, we, we do that a little bit. You know, evaluations, not fun, right? You know, it's kind of like, and it makes people a little nervous, but, but you got to do them. I mean, evaluations are very beneficial, and that's exactly what we want to do. We want to evaluate this according to the Word of God to say, hey, does this hold a lot of water, or, or really doesn't it? Let's check it out. So let's get to that. First of all, in evaluating blood moons, I want to be very clear before I go on with this evaluation that... Scripture says there will be cosmic events leading up 
to the return of Christ. Nobody's arguing that. That's a slam dunk. You can take that to the bank. There will be cosmic events, cosmic signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. No doubt about it. All, every Bible prophecy teacher I know says that. The question is, does the Bible specifically say that four blood moons or a tetrad is a sign of something? And when we look at scripture, the answer to that is no. Never in scripture is it ever mentioned that there will be four blood moons. The four is never connected with blood moons or blood moons on feast days. None of that's really in the Bible. It's fascinating to look at. It's very interesting. It's just not specifically ever mentioned in Scripture. A blood moon is mentioned before the end times, but not four, not connected to feast days, and you just kind of have to, to know that. And so building a view on a cosmic sign that's never specifically mentioned in Scripture, kind of faulty, but let's, let's move on. Second thing, there are five passages in Scripture that teach uh, that there will be a blood moon associated with the second coming of Christ. It starts in the Old Testament book of Joel, and Joel chapter 2 says some things like this. Before them, the earthquakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. And then a little bit later down in the chapter, in verse 30, it says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, one of the, in, in, in our evaluating, one of the kind of problems with the blood moon's theory is every time the blood a blood moon is mentioned, the blood moon that's a sign of the coming. It's always mentioned with a bunch of other cosmic signs. In this case, you know, it was talking about, um, what was that? Blood, fire, columns of smoke. You know, there's these other cosmic, and nobody's talking about those. So they all seem to be connected. So if you're talking about one, it seems like you, you would be talking about the other. Then another thing that we need to, to keep in mind is that the blood moon that Scripture's always talking about in all these passages, and we'll go through a few more, is at a specific time in this timeline. The blood moon that Scripture's always pointing to is in this area. We're over here. And people are kind of using it for a sign of the rapture, but that it, there's no signs to the rapture. It's all kind of pointing here, so you just have to, to understand that. Jesus talked a lot about the future. And it's clear that Jesus taught that there would be cosmic signs. There's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24 and 25, we have the greatest prophetic sermon that was ever given. And Jesus is giving us a basic outline of events that will immediately precede his coming. And he describes them this way. He calls it the beginning of birth pain, pains. Then the abomination of desolation, which happens in the middle of the seven years. And I'll tell you why we know that next week. And then, then the great tribulation, which is the latter half of the seven-year tribulation time. 
And then another time that Jesus calls, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. And so when we go to Jesus' words here, I want you to notice the timing. And that's in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky, that's from our perspective, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. And now when he's saying this, by the way, that's not the rapture. A lot of people confuse that. We'll talk about this more a little bit next week. That's, that's his second coming that he's talking about. So, but the first thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says is the context is immediately after the tribulation of those days. So when does the blood moon happen that Jesus is talking about? At the end of the seven years of tribulation. So that can't be this one happening in three weeks. So the next is Jesus says at the same time the sun's darkened, same thing Joel was saying. There are these other cosmic signs that are supposed to happen. And it doesn't seem like we should just pull one out and not take the other ones too just because they're not happening. It seems like it's all or nothing. And then also Jesus seems to be describing a supernatural event rather than eclipses that we can predict and we can even go back in the past to know when they happen it seems like as we read from all these passages that this isn't a predictable eclipse lunar or solar that this is actually something supernatural that's causing this stuff to happen but we don't know that for sure it just seems like that's the best sense of the passage so we have Jesus, we have Joel talking about it, we have Jesus talking about it, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And then we have Peter referring to it in Peter's first sermon after Christ's resurrection in Jerusalem. And basically, though, he's just quoting Joel and saying, hey, all these signs are going to happen. He mentioned several, just like Joel did, including a blood moon. And then the last passage that deals with this is Revelation chapter 6, last book of the Bible, and a book that has everything to do with end times. But again, the context of Revelation is that this, the blood moon, the blood moon, not moons, is happening in the uh, tribulation time. And so you just need to get that. And it's accompanied, accompanied by five other cosmic signs. We read that at first, I'm sorry, Revelation 6.12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal. We'll talk about more of that next time. And there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And so here we're kind of seeing that there's some other, you know, and here's the problem with the, Focusing just on the moon is, well, what about, you know, the sky opening up and what about the earthquakes and what about the mountains being leveled and, and islands being moved and all this stuff? It seems unnatural to take one thing out of it 
and, and, and not talk about anything else and just say this is happening when the Bible seems to always present them that they're happening simultaneously. And then one last thing. When I first heard about the, the blood moons, the first thing that I wanted, because it sounded so intriguing, the first thing I wanted to check into was just simply this. I knew that, that lunar eclipses, like most of you know, they're not global events. Lunar eclipses, any lunar eclipse, a total eclipse, is only visible by part of the Earth, never the whole Earth. And so my first question when I heard about this theory is, are these lunar eclipses, these total eclipses, because there's 16 of them, we've been through 15, we're waiting, you know, four for each one, and we're waiting for the 16th. And the answer to that is no. Actually, of the 15 that have happened, only one total eclipse was visible in Israel. And then there were four that were partially visible, and there were 10 of the 16 that weren't visible at all in Israel. And I only say that because of this. If they're being hyped as a sign, it only makes sense that you would be able to see the sign. You get what I'm saying? Especially in the part of the world that it's supposed to be a sign for. So if this is a sign that something is major going to happen in Israel, the first thing that I thought is, well, can you see these in Israel? And one in 1950, you could see. But the other ones, you really can't. Although this last one, September 28th, you will partially be able to see it in Israel. And we'll get to see it. Israel, maybe a little bit. So that's kind of, that to me is a big deal. And why is that a big deal? Well, because you could say, well, we know they're happening. So with, you know, our communications and technology we have today, if they happen anywhere on earth, we could know about it and it could serve as a sign. Okay. But what about in 1493 when it started? Well, we didn't have global communication then. They weren't visible by the main players. So here you're saying something's a sign that people couldn't even know about. So to me, that's problematic. So those are, that's kind of the evaluation of the blood moon. Sort of the, the, on the other side, you know, what's going on. And uh, you need to just kind of keep that in mind as you're focused on all this stuff. The main thing is what I've already stated. The Bible never just clearly says four blood moons are a sign of anything. And so, translation, you know, this, the blood moon cycle that we're in now, the tetrad, and the coming blood moon of September 28th cannot be identified with any of the blood moons in scripture, is what I'm saying, the blood moon of the end that happens in the, the end of the revelation the seven years of tribulation. Fascinating, cool stuff to study. You know, and there's some other things. For example, why go back 500 years? Why not go back another, you know, like all the way back to Christ? Well, if you do that, you find out there were other tetrads that didn't line up with Jewish feast days and, and really nothing really happened with the Jewish people. And so that's why they use... 500 years is kind of a marker to say, and, and it, 
It is very interesting, though. There's not going to be another tetrad for like 600 years. I mean, that's got to last one for a long time. So fascinating, interesting stuff. But here's what I want to, to wrap up with is this. I believe with all my heart, as do almost every Bible prophecy scholar that I'm aware of, I believe that there will be cosmic events preceding the second coming of Christ. No doubt about it. Slam dunk. Jesus said there would be. I just don't believe this is, can be directly tied to what it's being talked about in Scripture. Fascinating, interesting, and we're living in, in interesting times. Another thing I want you to leave with is this. Not only do I believe there will be cosmic signs, I believe that there are signs today that we can see unfolding before our very eyes and point directly back to Scripture and say, this is a fulfillment of what God says is going to happen. And some of that we do by reverse engineering. If God says all this is going to happen then, well, for example, Israel. If there's no Israel, then how can any of this happen? Well, now there's an Israel. So that, to me, is the much more interesting part of prophecy. Those things that we can see today that point directly to end times, that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. Next Sunday is the best Sunday, I think, to come and check that out. So I'm just, I'm just saying that's the best stuff where we look at Scripture and say, well, then what are the signs? So I invite you all to come back and check that out. Now, before we close, a couple things. Uh, we have about 100 people planning on baptism uh, Next weekend, again, our services are just like they are today. It's after our third service that, that we go out to White Star. Because we had so many people for baptism, a lot of people were calling in and couldn't get appointments set up with their schedule. At 1130, that's about 30 minutes from now, if you want to get baptized, which means you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and you want to follow him in believer's baptism, but you haven't been able... To, to get in to meet with a pastor. At 11.30, if you go to Quad 41, which is just the closest classroom to the cafe, we're going to have a little group meeting there, and Pastor Tim's going to lead that, and he's going to uh, go through the things that you need to know about baptism in order to be involved. We have a bunch of people signed up, most people we've met with, but we know the time got kind of short. There were so many people had a hard time making some of those appointments because of people's schedule. So at 11.30, you can go jump in on that and be a part of that. If, if you've already met with somebody or been, you know, somebody's talked to you, don't worry about it. But if, if you haven't, then jump in on that and come back next week. Not only are we finishing up end times, we're going to have a great time of celebration as about 100 people or more uh, follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Let's stand together. Jay, I didn't even sing. I didn't do the signs or anything, so yeah. There's always next week. Yeah, maybe I'll put my song up. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for...